I had basically nothing to do but do a lot of internal therapy work. I, I wasn't going anywhere, that's for sure. I've accumulated a stack of learnings, which I want to share with you. It brought up some very early primal things from the earliest yeah. days of my existence. I started out my career as an opioid taker uh, at age 78. You know, I think pain is not something to be resisted. Mm. You know, it's to be opened up to and dialogued. Well, welcome to Gay's Big Fall, Big Leap Adventure. Gay has some big news um, about something that just happened. It is a giant learning experience. And if you deal with having an imprint that commands and controls you that you aren't even aware of, which is kind of a weird thing to bring it up that way. You are going to learn so much in this episode. And also, if you are concerned about your own mortality or losing mobility, you are going to learn a ton in this episode. You're going to learn a fantastic healing journey that Gay has been on. Gay? Well, I did. I had a big uh, adventure a couple of months ago, and I've learned so much from it. And uh, I, in so many ways, I can't imagine any other way I could have learned it. So I'm very grateful, even though the experience was painful, that uh, I had it and I'm getting what I've got out of it so far. And I'm still in the middle of a bunch of learnings about it, but uh, this is where things are uh, as of now. All right, so if you want to hear a fantastic hero's journey of grace and growth, you're in the right place at the right time for this episode of the Big Leap Podcast. Let's get going. Well, Gay, it's been a while since we recorded because you have had a we'll say an unfortunate adventure can you explain what happened and uh, what's been going on for the past oh i don't know several weeks well it's actually uh to the day about um eight weeks since i had my big uh, adventure well to set a context i'm 78 and i have in my 78 years never really broken a bone or had any kind of major illness or anything like that, and uh, have spent very little time around hospitals and uh, blessedly very little time around the medical industrial complex. Um, so with that in background, I went out two months ago on a rainy day to uh, change my pool cover and um, my swimming pool which I've done a thousand times. But on this particular occasion, due to the rain, uh, the edge of the thing was wet and I slipped and went right down on my knee on concrete um, and broke my femur, my thigh bone in five places. Um, and it was in every way the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. As a matter of fact, Katie and I still talk about it because from the moment it happened, the only thing I could do was flop over on my back and just bellow at the top of my lungs. And oh. so I'm out there screaming and Katie came running out and uh, she said, 
you know, what can I do? And I said, no, this is 911. Uh, because when I looked down at my leg, um, stretched out on the ground, oh. if I moved my knee, my bottom part of my leg wouldn't go with it. It just lay there, you know, <laughs> and uh, oh. I thought, oh, my God. Uh, so that really, um, anyway, uh, so we got 911 and they were really fast. They were over here. I live in a small town. Yeah. Um, which is full of rich people. And so yeah. the services are, helps, are really good. And uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, the, uh, the whole gang was here within about five minutes. And so they, they stabilized me and then took me off to the trauma center in Ventura, which is about uh, 20 miles uh, down at the coast from where I live up in Ojai. And it was just really pretty much all I could handle mm. to stay in my body during that. And so finally we got down there and they couldn't give me any pain medication or anything until they, they got down there for legal purposes. And uh, so, but we got down to the trauma center and fairly quickly, they loaded me up with uh, pain relievers, two of them in particular, uh, fentanyl and Dilaudid. Um, oh, those are lovely. Both of yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I started out my career as an opioid taker uh, at age 78. Um, but uh, those two drugs knocked the pain out. And um, and I basically stayed in that uh, spaced out state for 24 hours until they could get me into the surgical rotation. And I happened to get there on a day where a whole bunch of people had trauma. So they had us kind of lined up uh, one after the other. And I finally got in about three or four in the afternoon. And I had two hours of surgery and uh, with a, a woman, a doctor named uh, Dr. Hargett. And she was really terrific. Um, and I've continued to see her for follow-ups and everything, but I really liked her. So uh, they put me into surgery and then um, ran a rod down the center of my thigh bone, a steel rod or titanium, I guess, and then loaded me up with five different bolts and screws uh, that screwed my uh, thigh bone back together. And then I was immobilized in a, uh, not a cast, but uh, uh, a brace, uh, I think they, they would call it with a wraparound kind of things. But anyway, I couldn't move my leg, uh, thankfully. And so I stayed that way basically for days and days and days, I was in the trauma center for two weeks, basically before I could do anything with my leg. And I've never really laid up <laughs> that long for any purpose, really. Uh, so anyway, I've accumulated a stack of learnings, which I want to share with you. Uh, yeah. But first, I just wanted to lay out the uh, picture of what happened. So uh, I was in the trauma center for two weeks, pretty much on my back with my brace on. Mm. And then I was moved over to the um, to a rehab center when I got well enough to be able to put some weight on my leg and bend my knee a little bit. And so I was moved over to uh, what's called the continuing care center, which is a, a rehab center that's associated with the hospital up here in Ojai. And, but it's a 24-hour day thing. I live there for uh, seven more days. And um, I had many, many learnings, which I'll detail for you, but yeah. a lot of them have to do with 
putting somebody who's never really stopped in my life, making me stop for three weeks. And it mm. really put me up against a whole bunch of different uh, learnings, which I'm, I'm glad I learned them, but um, uh, let me just finish the story. So yeah. uh, after three weeks of being, <laughs> I was going to say incarcerated, but uh, basically uh, inpatient, I was able to move over to my house here, which is about a mile away from the uh, rehab center. And I, uh, Katie hired in my own nurses and mm. uh, caretakers, 24-hour day caretakers and that kind of thing. Uh, so I could get out of the hospital, basically, because I just wasn't getting any better in there. I, I couldn't get any sleep in there. I I was, they don't have any doors between the rooms over there for some strange reason. And my roommate, who was down at the other end of the room, was both deaf and uh, and had a lot of issues and was would often scream out, help me, help me, help oh, me, no. and, you yeah. know, 24 hours a day, and I would come awake, you know. And uh, so I think I got about three hours sleep a night, and I was going frantic um, just staying in there. So Katie uh, moved me over here, bless her heart, and I've been very happily uh, rehabbing here uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, now I don't need the 24-hour-a-day care anymore, so uh, they all cleared out about, uh, I think, about two weeks ago. So it's just me and Katz and Katie now, and uh, <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm getting about on a walker, yeah. Um, and so I've got about like where I can put about seventy five percent weight down on my right leg now, and so yes. I I can see the glimmer of a possibility that I might be able to walk on two legs again. So I'm just kind of that's my next uh, thing I'm holding out for. Uh, but so I, that's on the physical level, but we're uh, I couldn't have designed a better curriculum for late life learning uh, mm. than this one. Um, for one thing, it brought up some very early primal things from the earliest yeah. days of my existence. And um, I, I didn't really, uh, I, you know, if I would thought it through as a psychologist, I could have probably said, yeah, it would do that. But I never had thought of that internally until all of a sudden I found myself doing these things which were inexplicable except in terms of some early life birth-related things. Katie kept saying I, uh, that I apologized for everything, like, oh, honey, I'm really, really sorry I did mm -hmm. this to you, you know, uh, I, and and she kept calling my attention to that and saying, hey, Don, you know, we've been together 44 years now. This is this is what I'm doing. You don't need to apologize for this. I'm not like doing you a favor or anything. Mm. And what I realized is it took me back to my being born in a very inconvenient way for my mother, where I was mm. a tremendous burden on her and you could almost say I ruined her life because her life took off in a whole different direction uh, once I was born. Because during my uh, her pregnancy with me, my father died and mm. sort of left her with 300 bucks and kicked her out of her role of being a happy housewife for the seven-year-old and about to have a new baby to a, a widow with no job, no money. And fortunately, my grandmother and grandfather lived next door. And so they kind of mm -hmm. took me over. And so that really saved my life, I think. Uh, but in terms of the imprint 
I realized that I had this real deep imprint of being an inconvenience and not feeling like I deserved to be there and that I was taking up everybody's time and I was taking them away from things they'd rather be doing. And so Mm. in listening to some of those things, I would say to Katie, you know, look, oh, darling, I really I know you could be doing dot, dot, dot. And here you are having to do dot, dot, dot. I after she caught me doing that about half a dozen times, I realized that I had this old imprint that I was working my way out of. And the imprint is, you know, like I don't deserve to be here. And so um, I really spent a lot of time hanging out with that and loving that and honoring that and understanding where that came from and understanding the, the actual impact on my mother's life. And so I had basically nothing to do but do a lot of internal therapy work because I, I wasn't going anywhere, that's for sure. And uh, uh, for the first three weeks, I couldn't really eat or sleep either, which uh, because of what they were trying to feed me in the hospital. Finally, Katie started importing some better food and brought it over every day. But uh, mm. for the first week or week and a half, I I lost about 10 or 20 pounds. because I, I can see it. it. Yeah, you look much thinner for sure. Yeah, um, I've gained some of it back now, but uh, through repeated doses of ice cream every afternoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, uh, then I anyway, I lost a lot of weight and I also um, couldn't really sleep uh, because of the noise over there. And uh, even with my noise canceling earphones on at night, it didn't cancel out the noise of the uh, other patients and everything. Being in a trauma unit, people tend to yell and scream and uh, one night I was up all night with a woman who checked in who was not only had broken her leg or something, but she was also trying to hustle them for opioids. And so I oh. had to go through listening to the whole litany of everything from, I'm going to sue you if you don't give me some fentanyl to, uh, you know, offering sexual favors to the personnel there in term, you know, like that kind of thing. Like she was just tripping out her unconscious. And uh, so uh, uh, anyway, that's my hospital adventure. Um, in actual healing, <laughs> things are going along great. Uh, I, my PT physical therapy person tells me I'm doing better than I ought to be doing for a guy my age. But uh, I tell her, you just don't know anything about us 78-year-old guys now. You know, you're only 35. Yeah, yeah. What do you know, kid? Yep. Oh, man. Well, I had, um, along the way, when I heard that you had had the fall, um, I think, trying to think what had happened, but I found out very quickly, and I was reaching out to Katie, of course, and you and I were having some dialogue, so you were definitely um, tripping balls as the old saying goes. I remember that you were high as a kite, but when you started and I was scared, I was like, Oh man. Uh, uh, I was scared in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, uh, man, I first, you know, like I, uh, you know, my, one of my saddest thoughts is like what happens if I lose gay, you know, you're one of my favorite mm-hmm. people ever. And I, I have such a deep love and respect for you. And I just enjoy collaborating and creating with you. So I went to this selfish fear place of, of loss and I experienced all that. I was very, very emotional for, for days. 
And, um, and I didn't know what to say to Katie, you know, cause like, how do you console? And, and, you know, I, I don't know her mechanism for like, whether she grieves or she goes into fix it mode or like, I, I don't know her modalities well enough to know where she goes. And I didn't know where I could offer either solace or support. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm very much like I ask when I need help and I expect people to ask when they want help from me. And I don't know always how to serve. That's my own stuff that goes back to whatever my imprint is. So it's like, I, I was wrestling with a different kind of anxiety and fear and emotion. And, um, and so that's where I went to. And then when, when we were dialoguing and exchanging videos, etc. I remember something that really hit me hard um, is when you told me that during your initial PT, you said it was some of the most painful experience of your life. And I believe you said you had passed out twice yeah. during that. So just talk a little bit about like you are working hard to get well fast and you're very committed to getting back on your feet and doing the hard work to the level and degree that it created so much pain that you'd pass out. So can you talk a little bit about what that experience and what those learnings were about your discipline, deliberation, your willingness to endure incredible pain? Well, you know, I go to a gym three days a week. And so I, I voluntarily submit to, and have for many years. I've been doing it for maybe 10 or 12 years now. And so, um, you know, I think pain is not something to be resisted. Mm. You know, it's to be opened up to and dialogued with and that kind of thing. Um, that level of pain that I had with the knee, with the uh, leg, uh, with my, uh, you know, especially with my PT the first couple of times, I would try to do it, and then it was like my body had some kind of shutoff mechanism mm. where I would start getting spacey, and then I would begin to pass out and have to sit back down. Oof. And that kept happening. Actually, it happened more than a couple of times. I would say it probably happened, gosh, more like a dozen times over several days. And I think part of that was, you know, maybe my body has some kind of natural shutoff mechanism, or maybe all of our bodies do that take us out of consciousness when things get too intense. Um, but I think part of it also may have been just a physical thing where I spent so much time lying down on my back, that when I tried to get my body working in an upright position, it didn't quite know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a factor also. Interestingly enough, once I got out of the hospital and got back over here, that to my house, that problem stopped happening. I haven't really had the lightheaded thing uh, since then. Yes. And I'm back at the gym now. I take my walker to the gym and kind of do my hop, skip, and a jump walk around to the different stations. Uh, but I work uh, mostly on upper body stuff these days. And I've been back at the gym now for three or four sessions, and it feels mm. incredibly good Ugh. to get a buzz in my body, you know, just from the joy of pumping some iron and, and doing something that's not automatically painful. Um, I don't have much pain right now, as long as mm -hmm. I stay off my right leg. 
Um, I still take a couple of Tylenol now and then, especially in the middle of the night. If I, yeah. if my, uh, sometimes I'll turn over in a certain way at night and it'll trigger my knee. Yeah. And so I'll take a couple of Advil, but, uh, boy, I'll tell you back to the fentanyl Dilaudid thing. Um, this gets a little, uh, gross here, but I had heard that opioids make you constipated. I mean, that's just one of the things that opium addicts talk about. Mm -hmm. But I learned the hard way <laughs> for about six days <laughs> that the combination of fentanyl and Dilaudid, it was oh, like I had a, a giant yeah. brick inside me. And, um, you know, talking about, uh, you know, Finally, when that problem resolved itself in the middle of the night with some mm. little nurse standing by cheering me on, um, I uh, I felt like I'd gone to heaven and and seen the face of God. Uh, it reminded me of Martin Luther King. I don't know if you remember this or not, but he happened to be sitting on the toilet when he worked out one of the central premises of Protestantism versus Catholicism. I don't know this whether... story. Oh, yeah. Well, uh he was trying to work out the problem of is it, is it faith that gets us to heaven or is it good works? Mm. And uh, so his his leaning was toward good works. But I I like to think that he was sitting on the toilet and maybe he got a little bit of grace in there too. You know, in addition to the effort involved, and uh, so that helped uh, helped him work out his theory. But um, that's uh, among the uh, most crackpot theories I have. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to ever have me surface an even more crackpot theory uh, to you, because uh, that's the biggest one that I know of. That all of Western civilization, religion, and everything hangs on a toilet event. It's. Uh, I'll just get, take one tiny distraction. So when I had my surgery for colorectal cancer. Um, I remember telling the doctor before they put me under, if, if I got to wake up and you got to basically gut me and I have to have a bag, don't wake me up was what I told them on the way down, which was a coward's way out. But it was like the thought of being stuck with a colostomy bag my whole life. And I can remember, you know, from the time you have surgery until your bowel starts to work again, plus the uh, same thing. I was on a lot of Dilaudid, a lot of opiates. Um, and, um, same thing constipated so my first poop was like a miracle and a celebration you know because i didn't know if my parts would ever work again that's the first thing you learn and you can't like the your colon's a very dumb organ so it just doesn't know what's going on and and i only have half a mind half half a colon half a rectum so it to this day I have a very unpredictable, like I have to really manage myself to have a normal life. And um, uh, I fortunately do, but it still doesn't know what's going on half the time. Um, and it's very unpredictable. So I, I can relate to how incredibly, like I, I used to tell people after I had the surgery, if you have to choose between your dick or your butthole, I guarantee you're going to choose a functional butthole over a functional dick. That's and, and and no man wants to face that, but I'm telling you, I got to live in both, both worlds and I, I know what's what. So um, it's like, uh, it's a, it's a very humbling experience, my friend, a very humbling experience. Oh, 
Yeah. I can only imagine. Well, God bless us both. We got the message. Uh, I hope you learned as much from yours as I learned from mine. Unbelievable. Was, uh, yeah. Unbelievable. Well, it has a way of, uh, it's very humbling and very sobering, you know, because you get to look at the very basics of my life. And uh, one of the things that's just been such a joy, though, has been to watch Katie, watch her do all of these things but not do them out of obligation, you know, oh, just do yeah. because she loves me and cares about me. And there hasn't been a trace of any kind of victimhood on her mm -hmm. part or anything like that. And I was so concerned about that for the first few days, you know, I was so apologetic yes. and, Oh my God, you know, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. But it's been days now, or maybe even weeks since I've mm -hmm. done the whole apology thing. And I feel really, happy about that because it honors her as someone who is choosing her experience 100 percent mm -hmm. as i'm choosing mine 100 yeah. percent. yes he um okay so let's i i there i can live with that as well that's something for um vivian and me where she she basically lived with a you know it, it I, I always say, I'm thank God it was me, not my son or my wife. Right. Um, so imagine it's harder for the, uh, the other spouse than it is for the person going through it, in my opinion. And um, just watching someone you love go through the same level of pain is, is just unimaginable. So I, I think for you, um, when you look at this, how do you feel as a coach and a therapist, you can take these learnings and lessons and apply them to someone else's life. How can the empathy, compassion experience transfer to your ability to understand and guide someone through uh, different life experiences? One thing that I that I've already used. I'm I'm back to work, so to speak. Yeah, I'm yeah. Doing podcasts and. I'm about to give a virtual keynote here in a week or two. And so uh, I've been at it again. And one thing that I've really learned is like, take a little snippet of everyday behavior, like me saying, oh, I'm sorry to Katie. And that one little snippet, if you take it and think of it as like the uh, kite at the end of a string and you ride the string all the way back to what's Pause that you mm. can go back to the very earliest moments of life. And so any little thing like that can be an e-ticket to ride back in and look at the early formative moments of your life and make some changes there, make some redecisions there that um, can have a powerful effect mm -hmm. on your life today. So the fact that within, you know, right away after breaking a bone, suddenly I've tripped into an old birth pattern, mm -hmm. you know, apologizing to people that I broke my bone, you know, how yeah. weird is that? And so, um, but it just came right out of my mouth. And so that's been a huge learning. And also, uh, you know, one of my old mentors in graduate school 50 years ago used to say, you can never speed a client up. 
you can slow them down, but you can't make them go faster than they want to go because they will always have some kind of resistance if you're uh -huh. pushing them too hard, in other words. And I really learned that, that there's a way in which I can be absolutely okay with people going at the speed they need to go at mm -hmm. and at the same time be a whole body cheerleader for them going as fast as they can. And yeah. so that's a that's a strange little dance, but I feel like I've learned more about that through this whole uh, thigh bone thing. That's um, that's good. That's good. And how about um, mortality questions? How has this affected your feelings, views, experience, um, love and lust for life um, versus just feeling, experiencing potential in incapacitation? you know, a loss of mobility yeah. and movement, like what went on there for you? That's a great question because one of the, th one of the things that happened is immediately I started replaying like my grandmother, you know, everybody said she was doing great until she broke her hip. And yeah, I know. It was just on out, you know, and then I had another person that that happened to, who said basically the same thing, not with a hip, but um, until he had this minor heart attack, everything was going great. And then from then on, everything was just downhill. Mm -hmm. So that really started replaying in my mind, particularly, I'd never known anybody that I know of that broke their femur, but I'd certainly known of a bunch of people that broke their hips. And because um, it's a common mm -hmm. In my age group, it's an extremely common thing to have happen because you can break a hip pretty easily by falling to one side. Yeah. I had an even worse version where I went straight down on it and broke it in five <sighs> places. Um, yeah. What's called, I learned a new word. It's called a comminuted fracture. If there's a whole bunch of different pieces, that's comminuted. Yeah. And a whole new word. Um, so I have a classic example of that. And oh, I forgot I had a little bit of a setback a couple of weeks ago because one of the screws started coming out and I had yeah. to go back to the surgeon and they had to do another little surgical intervention where they had to fix that and uh, actually fixed it by taking it all the way out. And I didn't realize the thing is about three no, inches long. Huge. It just blew my mind when they took it out. <laughs> Our son, Zach, had that. He was born with one of his feet turned in, both of them actually. And they actually did a surgery where they actually cut the whole femur and turn it. And then, and he started complaining of pain and we're like, ah, it's whatever. And it turned out one of the screws had unscrewed itself and was pressing into his muscle irritating it yeah. so you could just imagine with every movement it's just this horrible pain and uh, well, i don't have to imagine it because that's what happened to me two yeah. weeks ago yeah the body doesn't like foreign objects shoved in it that's the uh, that's the lesson <laughs> i know and i could actually see this one pushing up against the skin <sighs> and, uh, it really uh, encouraged me not to 
bang it on anything. But anyway, that's all fixed now. And I yeah. apologize if I've uh, freaked out anybody in the audience who are going through trauma right now. But um, uh, back to the main learning, this whole mm-hmm. feeling of of being here, I think has really increased. Uh, you know, I'm a longtime meditator. I've got 50 years of meditation under my belt. And under my head. And I, so I'm, I'm used to open spacious kind of um, things in my life. You know, I don't feel like I have a lot of stress in my life and that kind of thing. So this has been kind of a sharp reminder of what pain can be about and what pain can do. And I actually now I've started just sitting out in the backyard, especially on sunny days and uh, I've never been one to sit in the sun, even though I grew up in Florida. Yeah, uh, I usually have a a library tan. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I I I say I'm the whitest white guy in my neighborhood, and um, <laughs> my trainer makes fun of my white legs when I come in sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, angelic in all the I, wrong ways. Uh, yeah, so I've started actually getting some sun on my mm-hmm. limbs. You know. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have a golfer's tan where my forearms are real uh, tan and my head is real tan from playing golf, but that's about it. But now I'm beginning to get for the first time in my life, a little bit of a tan and I'm mm. kind of uh, liking this new California boy aspect of myself. And who knew? Maybe you'll see me with a surfboard down at the beach. Oh sometime. yeah, that I like that. I like that. Yeah, the thought of that's great, and the, and the vitamin D doesn't hurt either. No, vitamin D is good. I'm getting all that free vitamin D. I'm soaking up out there, mm-hmm. and I'm also on every type of supplement. I'll um, bet. Uh, everybody has a remedy, and I've taken the. I've, I can't take them all, but I've kind of skimmed off the essence of the essence. And uh, so, uh, but I have a counter in there because everybody's brought me by their favorite healing remedies that uh, I could uh, probably take care of the whole town of Ojai. Um, But, uh, and, uh, and if you're listening to these words and have the urge to send me something, (laughs) please don't. I'm doing great for supplements (laughs) That's uh, back when I, I was diagnosed and I had cancer, I was getting every magic potion known to man. And of course, one of the problems when you're, we produce tons and tons of books and I had a big, you know, online platform and there was, for whatever reason, probably 30% of my audience were healers of some nature, whether <laughs> yeah. they're legitimate doctors or woo-woo doctors. And the amount of unwelcome, uh, unrequested free advice and products was overwhelming to say the least. And uh, if I would have uh, listened to other people, I'd be dead now um, because, you know, there's so many wackadiddle uh, magnetic doodads coming your way and whatever. Um, not that I'm not that I don't uh, uh, believe in some woo woo. Right. I like feathers, crystals, oh, yeah. fuzzy, also, fuzzy just, bunnies. Right. But uh, and also I want to honor the yeah. heart impulse uh, too, because that's a genuine, beautiful thing. And yes. even if I can't take all the, Pills and everything. I honor that. That fact. People are thinking that way and appreciate yes. them for it. Um, I uh, right now I'm kind of focused. My big goal, PT wise, is to actually start putting 100% weight on my right leg. Mm. And so I feel like I'm maybe still 
a couple of weeks away from doing that mm-hmm. just realistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm actually going to see my uh, PT person tomorrow for my next workup. So I'll have more to say about that later. But uh, right now, the current status is I'm still on my walker, and but I'm back to functioning pretty much autonomously, uh, except for things where I need some help getting out of a door or mm-hmm. getting into a car or something like that. Right, right. Well, I, I have one more question for you, which is, aside from getting back to weight, getting back in shape, getting your body back to where it was or better, um, have you been inspired to uh, to create any new projects, write any books, stories, um, add to the platform, or use this as creative inspiration? Like, what kind of birth do you believe you're giving or will give to as a result of this? Well, that's a great question because I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that. Um, it hasn't led directly to any new writing. Uh, and here's a kind of a practical reason. I have two books in the pipeline at one publisher and another book in the pipeline. I have two novels in the pipeline over here and I have a no- big nonfiction book over at another publisher. So I've got stuff in the pipeline and I've been sort of deliberately not wanting to put anything more into the pipeline right now until mm-hmm. things move on through. And so uh, that's happening. Uh, one of the books will be out uh, first part of the year. But anyway, uh, I've been doing a lot of sketching and not even, I wouldn't call it thinking so much as just wondering. And one of the things that I got clear on is I'm not sure I want to write any more books. I want to do some other projects before I start writing another book. Mm. I know, you know, it's, it's such a familiar way of expression for me that I want to see if I can ride my way through all this to find some other kind of expression. Mm. I'm not sure what that's going to be. Maybe it's poetry. Maybe it's video. Maybe it's a movie script. I'm not sure yet, or maybe it's none of that. It just has to do with something else. But um, one thing, I just have a feeling it's not going to look like anything I've done before. And that feels really good to me. I feel like I'm in a state of rebirth, but I don't know exactly what the product is or what, what even what dimension of life the product is going to take place on. But whatever... My main commitment is to keep learning and to avoid anything that even looks like boredom or thinking I know anything or anything like that, you know, that I I want to avoid any kind of static places. I'm, I'm really in a time of opening up to more and more direct flow of communication from the creative source of things in the universe. And I want to just kind of surf on the edge of that for a while. Um, so um that's that is great i think i'm going to save a reflection for our next episode and this is a good teaser about um changing mediums because i have some thoughts about that but it'll be in a better package somewhere else so I love that. I think that's that is a form of of new birth and rebirth and also that willingness to reinvent as a result. It's like uh 
trying on it's a new set of limbs in a in a way if i were going to kind of create a metaphoric uh, uh relationship so i i love the idea of stepping out so if you think of that as a new big leap for you which is switching up the medium and creating a new form of self-expression that's a good place for us to finish this episode and um i love that for you i i like that idea of um because the moment you said it i don't want to write for a while i'm like oh geez ah, what what you know you know again my my yeah. fear side is like wow where's he gonna go from here because uh I, I used to say this, this is like a horrible thing to relate to, but it, again, it's just like my old trauma kicked in. So my dad's body is still alive. His brain's been off for a couple of years and it's just horrible to watch him as he's in this retirement home, not doing anything. And he was always this incredibly productive guy. And I always said the day he can't play guitar is the day he's done. And I can remember the week when he couldn't tune it anymore and he couldn't play cause he couldn't talk and he couldn't remember. And he would just sit and like play the same verse and started over and he started his hands didn't work and his brain was off. And like music is one of the last things to go. Um, because you know, like even a good friend of mine whose mother was in her over a hundred, she could still play the piano even when um, she couldn't talk anymore. There was that, muscle brain memory or some sort of sequential activation that kicked in. And um, again, like I had this fear when I heard you say that just for a moment, I'm like, Oh, what the, what's going on? So um, again, I don't want to make this about me, but it's, it's interesting how observing how much trauma I've got associated with this fear of loss and fear of, collaboration you know because it's so much a part of our life it's so much of your life and who we are as individuals that uh um i really um uh have a lot of emotion stacked up around that so well i appreciate that very much oh and just to one more thought i, I realized i hadn't quite finished my thought about mortality ah in the in the middle of all of this while i was still in the hospital my 86-year-old brother, Mike, who's my only uh, sibling, uh, has had Parkinson's for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And he took a turn for the worse when I was in the hospital. And he died. He went into hospice and died uh, about the time I came back over here to my house. And so that was a whole other thing that took me down into another yeah. space because uh you know i in grieving for him and thinking of him and being with him and everything it brought up a whole other set of issues and frankly also that relate to my own mortality because yeah. i started thinking oh he's 86 i'm 78 that means i've got eight more years but that, that's just yeah. my mind talking i'm yeah, yeah get hit by a bus tomorrow you know and yeah. um so um but it did start start me thinking about what life is going to look like around here with me not here. Mm-hmm. And it's a good question to ask, you know, because I remember once listening to the Dalai Lama, who was 58 at the time, uh, saying he was beginning to 
he didn't expect to die for several more decades, but he was beginning to prepare for his death. Yes. And um, so I think it's a good idea for all of us to, mm -hmm. no matter what we're doing in life, to uh, think about what our exit plans are. I, I agree.